we've been doing a, a series. It's a little bit different type of series than what we normally do, but uh, uh, we've been talking about winning the war in your mind. Um, I, I wonder how many of us uh, it, it, are, we find ourselves in the middle of a pretty decent life for the most part, you know, but, but we still find ourselves complaining a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Why is that? Why is it that our lives can really be pretty special most of the time, and yet our minds can so easily drift to the things that we don't like or the problems that we have or the things that are going wrong and the things that we want to complain about? What do we know about our minds? One of the, we've talked about this for the past several weeks, and we know that our mind is a battlefield, and most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind we talk about spiritual warfare all the time, and there's a real element of intercession in spiritual warfare, but the greatest spiritual battle in, in your life is the battle that goes on in your mind, whether you're going to believe the lie or you're going to believe the truth. That's the battle. That's where it takes place, and most of the battles in life are won or lost in the mind. In other words, you know, the life that we have in so many different ways, in so many different aspects, is a result of the thoughts that we think and the things that we dwell upon. Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what comes into your mind is what tends to come out of your life. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we think on, what we dwell on, tends to come out in our life. And it's almost impossible, if not outright impossible, to live a positive, faith-filled life when your mind is consumed with negative thoughts and you're always thinking about all the things that are going wrong in your life. What I want to do is I want to review a key thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, which is the kind of the foundation verses that we've been using during this time. The Apostle Paul said this in this passage, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? Well, there's a number of different ways you could define that, but one of the ways you could look at that in our lives personally is it's a wrong pattern of thinking. Many of us are held hostage by the lies that we believe. And he says in verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive. Somebody say, we take captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The title of today's message is Defeat Your Negative Thoughts. And with that, let's go before God in prayer. Father, we just ask that today, by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit, that you would renew our minds with the truth. We know your word says that we, would be, that we should be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And God, that's what we long for. We want to be different. We don't want to go through life the way we've gone through life to this point. We want our lives to be transformed. And we know, according to Romans 12 too, God, that the way that we are, we are transformed is by the renewing of our mind. And so, God, I pray that you would do that, that you would demolish every stronghold, every argument, every pretension in our minds that sets itself up against the knowledge of truth. Give us the power, Lord God, to, to grab the negative, hurtful, toxic lies, to capture them, uh, and, and to replace them with the truth of your word. God, give us your mind so that we can live according to your will. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about 
the, the power of the mind. God created the mind, and it is so incredibly powerful. We have something that, that, that we've, we've learned about. We've talked about these neural pathways. and every, We've learned that every time you think a thought, you're actually creating patterns. You're creating pathways in your mind, in your brain. And the more often you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. Excuse me. <coughs> and I want to expand on that idea today. And I want to talk to you about something. I want to use a phrase that, and then I'll define it and we'll be able to explain what we're talking about today. I want to talk to you about what are known as cognitive biases. It's, or it's often called a mental filter. What is a cognitive bias? It's, what is a mental filter? A very simple definition for a cognitive bias is, is that <clears throat> a cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. A cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning based on what you've experienced or on what you prefer. We call it a mental filter or mental framework in, the other, uh, in your life. In, in, in other words... For, give you an example. Say something really bad happened to you and it can create a framework of thinking or a filter through which you might see another situation incorrectly or inaccurately. For example, unfortunately, there are some of you in this room that, that grew up around abusive men. And, and we know that all men are not hurtful and all of them are not abusive. In fact, most of them, I would say, are not. But because of what you endured, your filter tends to shape how you see men and you think that all men are bad. Or, or because of what happened to you, oftentimes you make an inaccurate judgment about someone else around you. Or maybe, here's a kind of a silly one, maybe you grew up around parents who said bad things about wealthy people. You know, you, they, all wealthy people are bad. They only have their money because they cheated everybody else. They're evil, they're whatever. And then you find yourself maybe later in li life starting to, to succeed financially, and then you start living in false guilt and false, false shame uh, because it's not bad. There's not a, it's not sinful to have wealth or, or to not have wealth. It's what you do with it that makes the difference and how your attitudes are and that sort of thing. But that filter shapes how you see it and you begin to feel guilty about having things. The filters you have shape how you see life. What's interesting is if you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. Change the filter, change the feel. Now, we, we know that's true in the, the real world. You know, if you're posting a photo that's maybe you don't think it's very good and you want to put it on social media, and so you, what do you do? You, you change the filter, right? Anybody ever use any of those filters on, on, those, uh, on photos? And, and everybody knows that what's on the Internet is all real, right? <laughs> you know, so, but I want, to, I, want to, how many of you, I want to show you this. I want to give you an example of this. I have a picture of these two people that I, that I really love. You're going to see it here. These two people that I really <laughs> love and respect very deeply. I mean, I mean it. I seriously love them. I, I have great respect for them. But, but if you change the filter, let's go to the next one. If you change the filter... <laughs> It changes the feel, doesn't it? That, that photo, go back to the first one. That photo is a nice, decent photo, but when you change the filter, it changes the feel of the whole thing, doesn't it? And Chuck and Donna, by the word of God, by, by the words of Jesus, have to forgive me for what I just did with that picture of them. 
You see, it, it, but it, the truth is, it's not just in the photo. It's, it's very true in your life. When you change the filter, it changes the feel. It changes how you approach things. It changes what's going on in your life. So what is a cognitive bias? A cognitive bias is what we might call a default filter. A cognitive bias is when our brain is pre-wired to think in a certain way or it's pre-wired to interpret a situation in a certain way, even if our interpretation isn't completely accurate. Now, here's the problem with that. We all have these things going on in our lives, but the problem is if, you have, if your mind has not been renewed by the Word of God, then you're living your life based on these filters that you have learned and developed because of the lies of sin. That's why these, this whole idea of, of uh, these filters, it's why two different people can respond totally differently to the exact same situation. It's not the facts that are different. What is it? It's the filter. For example, you, you might be in your workplace and your supervisor might give, you, give the exact same feedback in the exactly the same way at almost the exact same time to two different people, but the way they behave and the way they receive that feedback can be very, very different, can't it? One person gets offended. Why are you telling me that? You, you don't know how valuable I am. You don't know how much I bring to this comp company. Here you are criticizing me. And the next person with the very same exact feedback but looking at life in a different way may say, well, thank you so much. You know, that was really helpful. I feel like I can do my job better now. I really appreciate the fact that you valued me enough to speak into me a way that I can improve. Thank you for what you did. Thanks for that feedback. It's not the facts that are different. What is it? It's the filter. Say that out loud. It's the filter. Two different people can walk into a church service together. One can walk into a church uh, convinced that, that it's going to be a boring service, convinced that he's going to hear nothing relevant to his life, that this is going to be nothing more than a waste of time, or simply just thinking that this is going to be a, just another church service, just like every other church service. Well, guess what? You know what happens? At the end of that day, they walk out of the church that day, and they got exactly what they expected. However, right next to that person, can be someone else who experiences the very same church service, same songs, same message, same scripture, same people sitting around them, and yet they enter that service saying, today, I'm going to hear from God. Today, this isn't going to be merely a ritual for me. God's going to do something new in my life today. God is going to give me hope. God is going to strengthen me. God is going to use me to touch someone else today. Guess what? That person also is going to walk out of the service and they're going to receive what they, what they expected. It's not the facts that are different. They experience exactly the same church service. What is it? It's the filter. It's the way we think. It's the way we view the world. And, and if we don't view the world through the lens of the scripture, if we don't view the world, the world and the things around us through eyes of eternity, then we're going to be having the wrong filter and we're going to see things wrongly. You can see examples of this even through Scripture. There's a, there's a powerful one in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Uh, this, we're not going to read that whole passage, but it's when Moses sent the 12 spies out to explore the land, the promised land. You remember that? They got there and they said, well, let's send out 12 spies. Let's see what it's like before we go in there. And so 12 spies, 12 of them went out. And what do we know? They all saw 
exactly the same things, right? There was no dispute. They said, we saw this great fertile land. We saw that the people were massive. We saw all these things. But even though they saw exactly the same things, the reports were entirely different. It wasn't the facts that were different. What was it? It was the filter. Two of them came back and they said, oh my goodness, it is so beautiful. It's amazing. It's perfect. God has given it to us. God who's brought us this far, he'll give it to us, this land to us. Let's go take the land. But 10 of them came back saying, this, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. This land devours people. It's kind of a funny way of saying it. But they say, and not only that, these, the people who live there, they're giants. We, they said, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. So 10 came back with a negative report, which is kind of funny to me that it was 10 out of 12 that were negative. Maybe that points to the reality that it's way easier to be negative, afraid, and critical than it is to fight for faith and to fight for a positive viewpoint. What I promise you this is that nobody and those spies, no, none of them went up and interviewed any one of those giants. They made assumptions based on their filters. The filter changed how they felt, and they, and they felt like grasshoppers in the eyes of it, everybody else. It wasn't the facts that convinced them of that. It was the filter. However, it's not just the filter that matters. It's also the frame. You, you can be in the very same situation yourself, and how you frame something determines how you see it. What does it mean to reframe a situation or to reframe a, a relationship? Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation, a relationship by changing its meaning. It's, 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 it's just simply creating a different way of interpreting uh, the things around us or looking at the situation or relationship. I'll give you an example of how you can reframe a day. Let's, let's just say, let's say you wake up in the morning. And, uh, and you determined ahead of time, as you got out of bed, you said to yourself, this is going to be a bad day. This is going to be a bad day. This is a, if you frame a day like this, you can say very easily, it's going to be a hard day. I have so much to do today. I'm working with people that absolutely drive me crazy. Half of them don't know what they're doing. I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. Life is hard. Life is bad. Not only that, my husband's driving me crazy. Why do we have all these kids? I'm sick of my stupid car. I hate the people I work with. I hate my job. You know what? You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad day before you ever get out of bed. If instead you take the exact same situation, that very same day, the same things that need to be done, and you reframe it, you may wake up by reframing it through eyes of faith, and you say, you know, man, I've got a lot going on today, but I'm so thankful that my God is with me today. I'm thankful that he's for me. I'm thankful that he's given me a job. I'm thankful for that old clunker in the driveway because it gets me to work every single day and I don't have a car payment. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Even though some people at work have difficult personalities, I'm actually thankful for them because they're actually pretty good people and I know that God has put me there to make a difference in their lives. I believe today is going to be a good day. We're going to ground, grind it out. We're going to get it done. It's not the facts that change. It's how you frame it. What do we know about what goes on in life? We know this. This is a truth. Tell me if this isn't true. You can't control what happens to you. Isn't that true? Somebody say amen. amen. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control 
how you frame it. You can control how you look at it. You can control how you respond to it. You can't control what happens to you, but the good news is you can control how you frame it. I, I want you to think about your life right now, you know, and think about the expectations that you, you, you have in your mind. Maybe when you were younger, you, uh, I wonder how many of you, you, you wanted something in life, but now, right now, you're experiencing the exact opposite. You, you thought maybe that by this time in life, you'd say, man, I'd, I thought I'd be doing such and such, or I thought I'd be in this place, or I'd have this, or I would have accomplished this, or, or I would have had this relationship, and you, you really, really wanted something, but instead of achieving or accomplishing or having or being what you wanted, instead, you may look at your, your life and say, man, I'm the exact opposite of that, or, or, or maybe not the exact opposite, but you say, man, I've just fell, fallen way short of what I thought I was going to be. I mean, like maybe some of you dreamed about having a great marriage and that's exactly what you wanted and you prepared for it and you prayed about it and you were pure and you worked toward it with everything in you and then you married your sweetheart and then years later you ended up where you never wanted to be, broken hearted and divorced. Maybe for you, you, maybe you went to college and you studied and got the degree and it felt like you were prepared to do something that would be meaningful. And now instead, you, 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 you're, instead of being in a job that you love that's making a difference, you're in an unrelated job that seems to be way beneath your education. And you look at your life and you say, how in the world did I ever get here? Maybe for you, it was that you, you got, got to a point in your life where you thought you'd be married or Maybe you'd say, man, I thought I'd be out of debt or I thought I'd be able to travel or, or maybe more spiritually minded, you're thinking, man, I thought I'd have a, some sort of ministry. I thought I'd be making a difference, but I don't feel like I'm making a difference. And you're so confused by it. If you ever wake up and think this is, this is what I wanted, but I, I, but, I, but I got the exact opposite, the Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel. In fact, his story is incredibly emotional to me because he had such a heart for God and he, he only wanted to serve God and only wanted to please God. But here's what I know about Paul. Paul felt called to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He knew that if he could reach the people in Rome, that that, that, that would help the gospel spread all over the world because that was the center of the world at the time. So his dream, his, it was on his bucket list. That was the thing that was at the top of his prayer list. His greatest desire, his calling was to go to Rome and preach. And instead of being in Rome preaching, he finds himself in Rome as a prisoner, locked up under house arrest, awaiting possible execution. Everything that he wanted, he got the exact opposite. Now, here's the thing. Paul could have framed that situation in a number of different ways. He could have framed it up on the negative side. And this is what he would have said if he had framed it that way. This is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 from the NWV version. You know what the NWV version is? It's, it's the New Winers version. That's what it is. Here's, he would have said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me just really stinks. And as, as a result of all the hell that God has let me go through, I'm quitting life group and I'm never going back to church again. That's what he could have said in the NWV. Now, for those of you that are new, I just want, I just want to make sure I say that's not a real version of the Bible. You know, you got your Bible app going, where's the NWV? That's my favorite version. I got to find that. It's not real. Okay, it's not real. What did Paul say, though? What did he do? Paul reframed his situation. What, by saying that, what I mean is he looked at his, the situation through the eyes of eternity. 
And he, he looked at his situation by looking at what God was doing through and in the midst of his unpleasant circumstances. I want to read you the verse. This is what he actually said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, although it may look really bad to most people, he said, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. And guess what? Even though it looks like I'm in bad shape, when I reframe it, it is clear to, it, it, it has become clear to everyone else that I'm actually in chains for Christ. What is, what's, what's happening? He's saying, I'm locked up to a prison guard, a Roman guard, for 24 hours a day. And he said, every, and what happened was every eight hours, he got a new one. So he's saying, man, I'm, I'm chained up to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Every eight hours, I get a new guard. Who do you think the real prisoner is? Right? I'm getting to preach to a captive audience. I get a new influential person every eight hours who has to sit there and listen to my eight-hour sermon of how good Jesus is. Verse 14, he said, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of my chains... Brothers and sisters, most of the brothers and sisters in Christ have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Guess what? It looks bad because I'm in chains. But because of my chains, Christians are daring to proclaim the gospel even more boldly than before and without fear. It's not the facts that are different. It's how you frame it. What I want to do today is I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes about how you can reframe your story because I know that right now there are many of you sitting in this place, many of you that are watching on the live stream, that you, are, you, you have a battle going on in your mind. Your life may have some complications going on. But guess what? We, we all do. We all, do, we all have some stuff, right? Every single one of us. There hasn't been a day that has gone by without some stuff. It's stuff in your family. It's stuff with your kids. It's stuff in, with your neighbors. It's stuff with the people you work with. It's stuff with your finances. Stuff, 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 stuff. Bad doctor report stuff. Bad behavior stuff. Fighting with your, with your spouse stuff. Fear stuff. Bad news on the, on the news channel stuff. Bad news with your family stuff. Bad news with your extended family stuff. Stuff, 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 stuff. And so much of life is, is generally pretty decent for most of us, especially in this country in which we live. But often it's, it's, a, such a, it's a small part of the stuff that ends up taking us out of God's perfect will, that ends up grabbing our minds and stealing our attention. And we end up focusing on the one bad thing instead of looking at all the wonderful things God has done. Anybody relate? I want to talk about how to you about, about reframing your story, your relationships. I want to give you three specific tools that can help you renew your mind and win the war in your mind. So, because here's the, here's the thing, when, when we win the war in our mind, that means that God is changing our thinking. And when God changes our thinking, that means that God is changing my life. Because what I do flows out of how I think. Let me give you three really simple tools for reframing. First thing, number one, I want to encourage you, and I like this one a lot. Thank God 
for what didn't happen. Can somebody say amen? Thank God for what didn't happen. I'll give you an example of this. There was a 20-year-old girl that came home from college. She said, Mom, Dad, I've got some really bad news to tell you. Just so I need you to sit down. She said, let me tell you the whole story. You just keep quiet till I'm done. I'm going to tell you the whole story. I just want you to stay calm, though, but it's really, really bad news. She said, I went out to a bar and met a guy. and We drank too much. He came back to my place and we hooked up. And I'm embarrassed to say I'm pregnant. The good news is that his probation will be over in a year and he's going to start looking for a job and then he'll consider marrying me. However, since we can't afford to get married right now, he's just going to move in. And she just let that hang there for a moment. And she said, actually, none of that is true. The truth is I got a D in chemistry. I just wanted you to realize how bad things could be. I bet those parents have never been so thankful for a D in chemistry. You know what I'm saying? You thank God for, we, some of us, we need to thank God for what didn't happen with our kids. You know, I, I look at my life and I hesitate to say this, but you know, I mean, before I met my wife, Julie, there was a, when I was a young man, there was this girl I had a crush on, man, I wanted to, I, I wanted to, I wanted her to be my wife so bad. I prayed, I prayed, oh God, oh God, just let her be my wife. And you know what? She didn't end up being my wife. And later on I met Julie and I'm so glad I met her. And, uh, and she was, I mean, it was an upgrade anyway. I'm here to tell you, it was, it was a massive upgrade when I met Julie in the first place. But then a few years later, we went back to, uh, I went back to, to a wedding and, and this person that I had a crush on came back and I saw her and I said, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. For, I didn't, I'm not mentioning any names, see, because uh, now we're recording and it's on the live stream, so you got to be really careful. But, but um, listen, maybe, maybe something bad happened. Maybe you miss your goal at work. So you don't get your bonus and you feel devastated by that. But you can thank God that, that in a very challenged and difficult economy, you didn't lose your job. Suddenly you're reframing the situation. You're looking at it instead of looking at the negative. You're trying to find what God has done. You're trying to figure, figure out what God has kept you from, what could have been. And you realize, begin to realize my situation is not nearly as bad as I thought it was. Rather than just focusing on what's wrong, you begin to look for what's right. You know, you might get in a car wreck and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be so expensive. There's going to be insurance hassle. My, there's going to have to pay the deductible. My, my, my premium's probably going to go through the roof. And, and, now, and not only that, when we, the car's getting in to be repaired, what are we going to do for a car because my insurance doesn't have rental coverage? And, or you can, you, can, you can rant and rave and sweat over those things. Or you can look at it and say, you know what? Thank God nobody got hurt. Everybody, everything that really matters is okay. Because, and you thank God it wasn't that big of a deal. See, in the whole scheme of things, there are some things that are a big deal, right? But so often, it's things that aren't that big of a deal in the scope of eternity that end up stealing our attention. We end up focusing on the problem instead of focusing on the problem solver. We look at the giant instead of realizing he gave me a, a sling and a stone. It, 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 look, look, look at your life with a broader uh, perspective and begin to frame the circumstances in light of eternity. 
is this really going to matter when, it, it, when, when I make it to Jesus, when I see him, when I'm there in heaven forever? If you'll take a step back every now and then and look with a broader perspective, in, instead of focusing on what you hate, instead of focusing on your problem, you may just change the frame uh, of your perspective and you say, God, I thank you for what didn't happen. There's so many good things that you're doing and all of this won't really mean anything without when I'm with you in heaven for eternity. And I'm not going to let this one thing stop me from being encouraged by your presence. Thank God for what didn't happen. Second thing you can do, you can practice pre-framing. Pre-framing, what are we talking about? Pre-framing is deciding how you'll frame a situation before you engage in the situation. Why does this matter? Pre-framing matters because our thoughts often shape what we experience. So give an example. It's kind of similar to what we we're talking about earlier. If you go in and say, man, you're going to a meeting at work. This, you say, this meeting is going to be horrible. I hate these people. It's going to be so dull. Do you think you're going to have a good meeting? No, no, it's going to be a bad meeting. Instead, you go into that meeting saying, we're going to do our best. We're going to be productive. We're going to enjoy the people that, that we're around. You're going to have a lot better meeting. Or, or you say, you come home and your wife tells you, we're going out. Oh, I hate all this. I hate all these stupid events. It's just uh, such a pain. I didn't want to go anywhere tonight. Or you can say, you know what? I'm thankful that I'm going to be with some people that I love. We're going to have a good time. The way you frame a situation often changes how you perceive it. So and here, here's the problem. A lot of you are, are you're very good at pre-framing situations. But the problem is the way you pre-frame it, you pre-frame your failure before you ever get there. You envision how bad it's going to be before it ever happens. You know, it's like, it's like when you have a symptom and you go on WebMD. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? This is the worst thing ever happened for hypochondriacs, I'm telling you, because you get on there and it's like, man, I got a headache. Oh no, I'm going to die tomorrow, you know? It's just, it's just, but take whatever shortcoming you have, learn from it. Learn from it. You can, you can look at things through the eyes of faith and you can be positive about what God is going to do. We got to be like the little kid, the little boy who was out in the backyard and he was, I used to do this all the time. Anybody here when you're a kid, You'd be by yourself, but you'd have a baseball and a bat. You'd throw the ball up and you'd hit the ball. Anybody, anybody do that besides me? You know, I love, used to love doing that. Baseball was my first love. And anyway, this little boy was out in his backyard and he was, he was doing that. He was tossing a baseball over there, hitting, hitting, the, hitting with the bat. And like a little, lot of little boys, he was fantasizing about being a grown up and a professional athlete. And he was pretending he was in some championship game, the World Series or something. And he shouted out, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw that baseball up in the air and he swung that bat with all of his might. And plop, that ball fell to the ground. He missed it and the ball fell to the ground. Undaunted, he picked that ball up again and he shouted again, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw that ball up in the air, swung with everything he had in him and he missed it again. Now he was a little shaken this time. But he knew that in baseball you get three strikes before you're out. So he grabbed that ball up one more time and he said, all right, you got two strikes on me, but that doesn't matter because I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he tossed that ball up in the air and he gave that ball a might, the bat, bat, that bat a mighty swing. And, and, and lo and behold, this time he missed it again. 
And he stood there for a moment with his head down. And suddenly his face lit up and he shouted out as loud as he could, Wow! I'm the greatest pitcher in the world! <laughs> See, you can walk through life believing that everything's going to, be, everything's going to go bad and you're, everything's going to always go uh, sideways for you and you're going to always get the short end of the stick or you can go through life believing that God is with you and that he will be with you and that his favor rests upon you and that he's going to bless you if it, even though it may, he not, may not bless you in the ways that you want him to but you know he's going to bless you you know that he's going to enable you you know that he's going to empower you you know that he's going to use you to touch the lives of people regardless of the circumstances in your life and it doesn't mean that you're always going to accomplish whatever you want to do but it means that even in that moment of temporary failure, you know that God is still with you. You know that you are destined for heaven because he has washed you with the blood of, of the lamb. You know that you have been chosen by God. You know that you have been gifted and called by the creator of the universe. You know that you are loved by God and that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. What can you do? You can thank God for what didn't happen. You can pre-frame a situation. And the third thing is, and this is so powerful, look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness. I promise you this. You will always find whatever you're looking for. If you look for the good, you're going to find the good. If you look for the bad, you're going to find the bad. If, if, if you want to see what's wrong every single day, you're going to find what's wrong every single day. If you want to not like people, you can find a ton of reasons to not like people. If you, if you want to look for God, if you want to see faith, if you want to see the best, you can. Because what you're looking for is what you, what you will find. If you're looking for the goodness of God in any situation, you will find it. I promise you, you will find it because it is there. He is there. His goodness is overflowing. And you say, how is that possible? In a, in a situation, a, a car wreck and a family is wiped out and there's one remaining family member. How can there be any of God's goodness? But you can find the goodness of God in the way that God gives peace and the way that God strengthens and the way that God upholds that for that person. You can find the goodness of God in every situation. It's kind of like, the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. You, you, you know the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird? <laughs> so for some of you, if you don't, you need to read a book or something. I don't know. What does a vulture find? Every day, a vulture flies around. And what does a vulture find? Dead stuff. Dead things. He finds roadkill. However, what does a hummingbird find it? Every day a hummingbird flies around and finds sweet things. I promise you, you'll always find that for which you're looking. If you're looking for trouble, you'll find it. If you're looking for God's goodness, you'll find it. If you're looking for God's peace, you'll find it. If you're looking for the presence of God in any situation, you will find it. You'll find it. If you want to see what's wrong, if you want to see what's bad, if you want to see what's not working, what's wrong with the world, you can find it and you can live a really depressed, negative life. On the other hand, if you want to look for where God is working, 
you can see that he's still on the throne. You can see that he's still good. You can see that he is still powerful. You can see that he still answers prayer. You know, I, I look back and the, the year 2020 for many of us was a really bad year. It's a tough year for a lot of people. For some, it was maybe the worst year ever. You remember, there was just this heaviness. There was, there was this, almost this sense of hopelessness. There was a, a real sense of fear, even among the people of God. I've never seen anything like it. I, I, I was shocked by it, frankly. And that virus started raging and spreading throughout the population, and, and then everything shut down. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. I remember right after the shutdown started, I remember driving down to South Haven and I got on Interstate 55 and, and got to a place where it's heading right toward South Haven. And, and I was looking as far as I could see, I couldn't see another car. I thought, wow, the zombie, zombie apocalypse is here upon us, you know. It was the strangest thing. And then eventually, even the churches shut down. And I'm here to tell you, we were in leadership in the church. We were in a really a no-win situation because some of you thought, well, if you, if you reopen, you don't love people. And then there were others of you said, well, if you don't reopen, you have no faith. And, and, the, and people, leaders of churches and pastors everywhere were in a no-win situation because they're like, man, if I open, people are going to hate me. If I stay closed, people are going to hate me. I don't know what to do. And, so, and then there was the whole mask thing, meaning, you know, like if you wore a mask, you were a flaming liberal. And, and if you didn't wear a mask, you were dangerous and, and selfish. And, and, you know, we did here, we did live stream for a month. And then, and then uh, Arkansas said, we can't control churches. And so we just, we reopened. Uh, but we found ourselves that once we reopened, there was just a fraction of the people who, who came back to church. And, and, and we found ourselves looking at the situation and thinking, man, this is the worst year ever. Or was it? Because when I began looking back, I realized that 2020 was not all bad stuff. It wasn't. I, I look back now and I realize that my family, our family, spent more time together during that year than we probably ever had before. I watched as the friendship between my two daughters. You know, listen, I don't take for granted that my two daughters consider each other their best friends. Because, you know, that happens a lot of times after you move out, but when you're living in the same household, that doesn't always happen. But I watched that relationship grow closer. And, and I... I you know, we, we went through some stuff that year, just like everybody else did, some tough things. But you know what? We went through it together. I, I, I saw and experienced the faithfulness and the miracles of God in that year in ways that I have never seen before. And when you look at the church, we, we had to close down for that one month, and yet through that process, you know what God did? God accelerated our online ministry. And we have a live stream every week. And, and, you know, we're not like, you know, some of the churches that have thousands of people that watch every week or that sort of thing. But I can tell you this because we can go on there and see who has watched and what is, where, where, where they have been. And I can tell you that our services have been seen by people literally all over the world. Even, I, I can tell you, even in nations that are predominantly Muslim, there have been people who, who watched Restoration Life Church and heard the message of the gospel. And you know what? That wouldn't happen if we hadn't 
been forced because the live stream is something I was wanting to do, but we were waiting because you never really had the money, that sort of thing, but it forced our hands. As I look back over that year, it's easy at first glance to, to say, man, that's just the worst ever, worst year ever. But actually now I look back and I see so many incredible blessings when I reframe it and look at it through the eyes of eternity. Now they look back, it doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem so bad. There were bad things, no question about it. But I can see God's hand on my life and I can see God's hand on this church through all of it. It's about reframing it, learning to see through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of eternity. In other words, if God is working in all things for our good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then it's time to reject the unhealthy thoughts. It's time to reject and do away with all the lies of the enemy. The lies that tell you you can't and you won't and you're nothing and you're a failure and you're not smart enough and you'll never be good enough and you can never be used by God and God has abandoned you. All these lies and then we're going to reframe our lives. We are not going to passively receive circumstances anymore, folk. We're going to actively interpret them in the light of God's goodness. Do you hear me? We're not interpreting the goodness of God through our circumstances. We're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. Let that sink in for a minute. See, a lot of times what people do, they'll look at their circumstances and say, my circumstances are bad, therefore God must not be good. We're not going to look at our circumstances and use that as a filter to interpret the goodness of God. We're going to look at the goodness of God. We're going to stare in the face of our Savior. We're going to look at His might and His power and His goodness. And through that, we're going to then, then use that as the eyes through which we look at our circumstances and say, I still see the hand of God. I still see the goodness of God. My God has not abandoned me, and He never will. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so many of us. We have been in church for years, for decades sometimes, and we have not been transformed. It's time to stop settling for just saying, I go to church. It's time to be transformed. It's time to let the truth of his word renew the way that we think so that it changes the way that we live. And then John 8, 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Bow your head. Father, we ask today that by your power and through your spirit that you would help us to reframe some things that are going on in our lives. God, just renew our minds. Every one of us has stuff. Every one of us has things going on. But Lord, help us to see you in any area where we're confused, where we're hurting, where we're disappointed, or where we're afraid. Help us to see you in any situation. And help us, God, to interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. And as you're praying today, those who say, Pastor, I need God to help me reframe my circumstances to see his goodness. I have a tendency, maybe you have a tendency to lean toward the negative and it's easy to go that way. 
But you're saying, Pastor, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I need to learn to look at things through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of eternity, and I need to learn to see God in everything rather than letting the circumstances steal my attention and arrest my attention and keep my focus. I want to learn to focus on Him instead of my problems. If that's you this morning, you'd like prayer, I would, would you just slip your hand up right now if you need to reframe something and you say, that's what I want in my life. Yeah, there are hands all over the place. Anybody else? You can put them up. Just hold them up for a second and then you can put it right back down because it's really not for me to see. It's really you calling out to God. The hand is up is, is you saying, God, I need your help. That's really what it's all about. I want to pray for you, Father. I thank you that you're working. And God, I pray that you would renew our minds. And Lord, we know that that's not just something where you wave a wand over us and something magically changes. But God, we can, we can begin to attack these negative things and attack the lies. But it does no good to say that's not true if we don't replace it with the truth. So God, I pray, first of all, you'd help every one of these people that have raised their hands to get into your word in a way that they've never been before, that they'll set aside that time to get into your word, more importantly, to get your word into them. And that God, that, that we won't settle for reading the Bible, but we'll let the Bible read us. We'll let the Bible expose what needs to be exposed. And, and Lord, that as we get into your word, as we, as we learn your truth, that that truth would set us free from all of the lies of the enemy. God, I know that there are people that, that are dealing with really significant burdens. They're facing deep, deep, heavy burdens. But God, even in the middle of those trials, I pray that we would experience your grace that sustains us, your strength that carries us, and your spirit that comforts us. Help us to see you even when we're hurting, God. Give us the power to see your goodness, to, to sense your presence near us, and to do your will in all that we do. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.